0: 5 and on podcast I am your host Shane Hazen coming up this week Lonnie Gonzalez is back and we're discussing Cary Grant and his film Father Goose from 1964 Lonnie recently reviewed Cary Grant the making of a Hollywood legend by Mark Lancy for bookandfilm.com and so we picked this movie as the one to talk about it's a interesting follow-up to charade but first this week it's, it's funny we picked Cary Grant to talk about this week one of the prototypical, ageless movie stars, someone who is easy to watch and think of better times. Uh, Lonnie and I both had pretty shitty weeks this week, and I apologize for being maddeningly coy about it, but I can't really talk about Neither is my story to tell, why my week sucked and why Lonnie sucked. Um, all I can say is that I've worked in... Film. I've been paid to do film work for a little over 10 years, and it's a short time. But I've encountered a lot of really talented people who deserve to tell stories in film, and the economics of it are rough, especially this year. And I'm guilty as much as anybody else as a film person of talking about film personalities their work their successes and their failures like their baseball card statistics and or we're little kids asking if uh, certain comic books superheroes fight who would win and it's hard to remember that there's real ramifications when some of these talented beautiful people careers and then lives don't go the way we all planned i have a, i've had a lot of i've worked with a lot of great people who are like storytelling geniuses they could get light up a room their laughter just made you want to keep going even in uh, the face of a shitty job or just very little hope and career prospects. We all love film. We all talk film together. And when their careers don't go the way they want and their lives don't go the way they want, there's real ramifications in it. And it's hard to picture sometimes. Uh, Again, I'm sorry for being so very coy and vague about it, but again, it's just not my story to tell, but to all the talented storytellers out there who don't always get to tell the stories they want and whose lives were changed by that, I hope somewhere sometime you get to tell your stories. And they give you and other people meaning. Uh, But onward to rosier subjects. I'm glad I was able to get a friend like Lonnie on to talk and have a laugh at the end of this really terrible week. So, uh, Cary Grant and Father Goose. I kind of skimmed that new biography we talked about, the Cary Grant one. It's called "A Brilliant Disguise" by Scott Iman. Okay.
1: <laughs> so the other one.
0: <laughs> yeah. This this whole thing was spurned because you had written a review of um, a Mark Lancy one called "The Making of a Hollywood Legend."
1: Yeah, and I mean, and I read the I read the biography, and it made me want to watch some Cary Grant movies. And so I was like, well, if Shane and I are going to talk about a movie maybe carrie grant movie and now i have context
0: <laughs> yeah well it was your article in the end when you mentioned uh father goose i just never heard of it i was misled right. um you you said in the article that it was his last starring vehicle which is true and i thought it was his last role but i also right. just knew nothing about this role and um, yeah yeah it's i mean you mentioned in the article it's so off type for someone who. As a human being in the 50s who is so much of a person as a brand, someone who doesn't mm-hmm. deviate in any way, this is a guy, A guy like, it's a movie where Cary Grant untucks his shirt and doesn't shave.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting that he, you know, he said, like, well, the appearance of this character is more like how I am in real life. Because, you know, around his house, he doesn't shave. He's, you know, wearing comfy clothes, <laughs> whatever. Okay. And his hair was, you know, naturally. I mean, he's older; his hair is naturally gray. It was the first time his gray hair was really allowed to be shown too.
0: He doesn't comb his hair until the end of the movie too. Like it's, it's yeah, it's, kind of, it's untidied. Um, he's in these this weird hat and boxers <laughs> combination for parts of it. Um, how like, <laughs> has he done other the movies where he was uh, downplaying or not debonair? I mean,
1: definitely, I mean, definitely he has, but kind of um, his best known roles are, you know, not, not that. And he had, he made a lot of movies before 1938, which was really his breakout year. And before that, he played all kinds of characters. And um, I mean... I don't think usually like slovenly people (laughs) necessarily, like really unkempt, but definitely um, not like dashing leading men types. And then even when he was a big star, he made films where like, um, I'm thinking of like uh, Pennies from Heaven or Room for One More, which are like domestic uh, drama type films where he's like a dad and, you know, he and his wife live in a little apartment, and you know that's it's more, uh, you know, that's not the uh, penthouse on Park Avenue, Cary Grant. But I mean, of course, he's still very handsome, and you know, they're movie stars.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. And there's also the funny aspect of the movie where he's an American dealing with um, the British Navy and. I th- you mentioned this earlier in the article, the f- one famous thing about Cary Grant. What is the accent again, precisely?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, actually, when I was reading about the movie, too, I realized that it's supposed to be the Australian Navy, which, okay. <laughs> oh, I... What? Um... Yeah. I mean, it makes sense when you think geographically they're in the South Pacific and, um, you know, Australia do we need to like say what we're talking about more about the movie here? Yeah. Father
0: goose from 1964, um, Cary Grant's second to last film. I haven't, I haven't been good about doing uh, recaps of plot. Um, I could you do this? I don't know where to start on. it.
1: Okay. Yeah, no, sure. So Cary Grant plays uh, an American, as you said, who's sort of a, a, scruffy loner. He's got a boat and he's just kind of hanging out in the South Pacific, but it's during World War II. So not really a, you know, a great time to be doing that, but he wants to run away from life is what you kind of learn. And he's a drunk. That's, and,
0: that was the most yeah. fascinating thing you mentioned, the article, just <laughs> his drinking. Because cause in the movie, it plays out like um, Popeye and his spinach or... To, <laughs> Or to like uh, the critic used to have a gag where uh, Jay Sherman's dad uh, they parodied Popeye where he had gin as his right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was like that where Cary Grant just
1: needs some whiskey, some whiskey. Um, and so he gets recruited by the Australian Navy, an old um, you know, acquaintance of his who's uh, played by Trevor Howard, who is British. So again. Why would you think it was Australia?
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's what threw me off. Yeah. I was thrown off because I recognize him mainly from The Third Man. I know he's been in a bunch of David Lean movies, but The mm-hmm. Third Man was the main one place I know him from.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah great uh, British, classic British actor who Cary Grant was actually really um, excited to work with um, because he'd seen him in a Carol Reed movie. And, uh, you know, so he kind of recruited him to play the commander uh, who... Uh, presses uh, Walter into service as a spotter and so he's basically going to put him on one of these remote islands out in the South Pacific and give him a radio like in a shack and give him supplies and uh, he should live there and then just radio in if he sees any Japanese planes. Um, And to make sure that he goes through with it, uh, they basically shipwreck him there by making a big hole in his boat so that he can't Uh, Leave
0: the Island. This movie (laughs) uh, is directed by Ralph Nelson, who's got a funny, interesting background. But for the most part, um, we'll go into it in a bit, but mainly he was a TV guy. But he'd also, uh, in the 60s, got a name. Lily's in the Field and Charlie are two big movies he did in the 60s. And he was known for getting good performances out of people. But he also has this, coming from TV, I I couldn't get a beat on whether this felt like a TVish movie or not. Like the uh, mm. the flip frames that 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 device <laughs> where you you switch a device and like the frame mm-hmm. like turns on its uh, center axis or something. And but at the same time, movies seemed like it was mostly location shots. Um, but when that that crash happens not the best covered sequence like it was just like (laughs) like i think they cut away to someone looking like impish or and gary grant like shaking his fist or something
1: yeah well yeah i mean (laughs) i guess kind of yeah those sort of um what did you call it like when it flips it's kind of like a gilligan's island gilligan's island there was there's yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah
0: there, or, or there's a there's a scene later in the movie too where a child falls from a tree and you're like you don't see the fall you just see that the child yeah, is suddenly in taught. cary grant's
1: yeah, arms. yeah. <laughs> um well so let's get to those to the child and okay. there's okay. actually seven children because uh pretty soon after uh, uh walter is uh sent to the island he had he is asked to take his uh small uh, dinghy boat over to a neighboring island to pick up the radio operator who is there because the island is being invaded. And so he goes over there. um, But when he gets there, he does not find that uh, person because the radio shack has already been bombed. But he does find a a woman and seven uh, schoolgirls who are stranded there. And <laughs> I definitely I,
0: I I had to double check. Uh, uh, Sound of music is 65, but I definitely got of I don't know if it was a thing from the mid 60s with kids, but over Disney thing. But there was there was a Von trap vibe uh, to the children
1: just because there were a lot of them and I they think... had matching outfits at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have a funny uh, costume change uh, halfway through. <laughs>
0: sure (laughs) thanks for listing those Lonnie um I mean like what I think it was a thing later added to the the original screenplay too which we'll go into uh uh Peter Stone too later but
1: yeah well let me just kind of I mean this is just the setup and then so he takes the he takes uh the woman who is uh Leslie Caron and the girls back to his island and uh you know they radio in and Trevor Howard says, well, we can't get anyone over there. So you're going to have to wait. And it's going to be a few weeks. Like they don't know when they can actually come, uh, and rescue, uh, the kids, uh, because the Japanese, uh, Navy is in the area. So then it's just, okay, how are they going to get along? And it's, you know, the whole thing of the crusty old loner, uh, alcoholic <laughs> and, uh, Harry you know, Grant more... as the crusty yes. alcoholic. It's... <laughs> and then the prim, uh, you know, woman and trying to, you know, keep a handle on these kids and make sure they're protected and uh, deal with him. And, uh, you know, hijinks ensue until the end when they're um, able to leave the island, but not before a wedding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Very succinctly done. Very, very. Uh, t- I mean, Leslie Caron is someone I am wholly unfamiliar with. I when I was reading up on this, I thought of um, Warren Beatty was dating her at the time and yes. was coming to Jamaica, and the press was going. But I, I, yes. I, I still have not seen *American Paris*. It's one of those movies I kind of want
1: to hold. Oh, out really? the Big screen on. Oh, yeah, really? I want.
0: I want to see it on the big oh. screen. So
1: well, well, I don't know when that's going to happen, Shane. But you should see it. It's a, uh, it's a movie that I really like. It's definitely in kind of my top. Uh, faves. Okay. Um, and and you know that was her first movie, so I wouldn't say that she was a wonderful actress in that movie. But she certainly has um, a lovely screen presence, and you know was a dancer and dances in that movie, and is really fun um, in that role.
0: One of the things, that, reasons I thought this would be a cool movie to watch is um, the writer Peter Stone was following. I yeah. had been mainly Cary Grant's uh, writer since Charade, and years ago, you and I and our friend Danielle, yeah. whenever I used to be able to, or whenever the I was still a projectionist and the we'd switched over to digital, we had ways of connecting Blu-ray players to the big screen, so we would watch movie Blu-rays on the big screen we all watch charade together and I don't know was yes. that you was that whole your pick or was it your and Danielle's pick? Uh,
1: I think it was my choice. Um, Cause I think I had just recently bought it on DVD. I'd seen it before, but I had just bought it. And so I was like, it was one of my favorite movies. Let's watch that. And mm. yeah, that, that was really, that's really one of my favorite uh, movie going experiences when I think about it, because it was so cool just to have the theater to ourselves.
0: Yeah, It, it, it was <laughs> cool. I watched, um, How was it? Torn Curtain uh, or Topaz, I think, with my friend Ted Mm. in the theater, another movie around that era. Although I watched a ton of movies, including some really terrible uh, uh, mid-aughts indies that don't deserve to be seen on the big screen. Where does um, Cary Grant fall? Is is he your favorite actor or is he your favorite actor of this era? Or where does he fall if if we're going to list this?
1: Yeah, he is one of my all-time favorite actors, certainly of the classic era, as you would call it. And, uh, I mean, him and Jim, no, not Jim, Gene Kelly are probably my two favorites. Gene um, Kelly's a
0: great football player.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> Jim <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> no, Jim Kelly is like, uh, he played for the Bills when I was a Cowboys fan, so, right?
0: <laughs> 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 I I made that gambit, and turns out you knew more than I did about it. So,
1: um, mm. anyways, uh, yeah, Gene Kelly and uh, Cary Grant definitely my two favorite of, you know actors of that time. And it was really funny for me watching Father Goose to talk about Cary Grant, just because when I think of Cary Grant, I tend to think of him in black and white because okay, the movies from the forties mm, are more of my favorite Cary Grant movies um mm-hmm. and then in the 50s and 60s he made fewer movies and they were in color and so um yeah i just but i tend to think of him in sort of like the awful truth or the philadelphia story uh mm-hmm. his girl friday that sort of look
0: yeah i mean the it, as color came in he was always known as this ageless actor and uh but you mentioned 19 was it 38 you said that is when he had his yeah um
1: that that was his real breakout year.
0: I mean, I knew him like he done. Like he, I guess his career started. May or really, he got into prominence through his, those two May West movies he did where they starred together.
1: I mean, uh, yeah. I feel like that's probably something that people think now. Like looking back, those are more notable because they are like May West movies. But at the time, it didn't really, um, you know, do a lot for his career i mean except mm-hmm. that he you know just kind of kept working mm-hmm. he
0: there's yeah a, the streak mm-hmm. uh, it starts in 37 with awful truth but when i was going through his just um his going through his filmography there's just this like he's also known as consistently someone who picked commercial hits like stanley kramer had this uh comment mm-hmm. that supposedly um he what the phrase is something i didn't get the exact quote but it's something like diffidence that um Con- uh, conceals a cold commercial calculation but that being said not as a negative from 37 he's i'm just gonna read the titles the awful truth bringing up baby holiday gunga din only angels have wings in name only which i haven't seen or i'm familiar with his girl friday um i in there's two and then philadelphia story then penny, Ser- uh, penny serenade suspicion arsenic and ole's talk of the town um that gets him to 1942 and i've skipped like the removed yeah it's like, they, just <laughs> classic after classic like it's like you, you the um scotty amon tries to compare him to right now the closest comparison he got is george clooney although george clooney hasn't done much in these years but it's just yeah he, i i can i that sigh i gotta no i'm si- just
1: thinking about it like yeah definitely if for as a shorthand sort of like i think more in the appearance uh, reputation kind of thing you know that he can do comedy and drama but he's you picture him in a tux you know right and that George Clooney is definitely the main one for the modern moviegoer
0: okay um, so when did you first see this movie do you remember
1: Um, I'm not exactly sure. Probably like when I was a teenager, I think I, I, you know, I haven't watched it in a really long time. Um, but you know, I think it was just on like Turner, uh, classic movies or AMC when they still played a lot of classic movies. And my dad, uh, saw that it was coming on and he said, Oh, this is a really good movie. And so we watched it Hmm. (laughs) and yeah, (laughs) this is my first
0: time seeing it. Yeah. I, um, it's, uh, like, I mean, the Hitchcock movies in the fifties are w- the other part of the color thing that I, I know most of them through, but like, uh, charade, like, I, I don't love it as much as you do, but I do. It's a, it's such a witty movie and this movie kind of carries on that level of cleverness and, um, it's written by Frank Tarloff, who I guess wrote the original draft and, uh, and Stone, Peter Stone took over for him. But it wasn't. Yeah, a, it there, won't was actually, Oscar. yeah there, there was
1: actually. Yeah, there was actually player. a script that existed. It was called A Place of Dragons. And nah. it was, yeah, I don't know why. And it was given to Cary Grant because he was looking for a new project. Because at this point, he was also um, a pro- producing a lot of his films. And that's why, I mean, you said he tended to choose a lot of commercial um, things so that's part of why because he wanted to make money as the mm. producer <laughs> and, I'm seeing uh, that
0: he had a stipulation that he had to own his own negatives as a producer on any movie he chose because oh. like there was a point where Hitchcock was thinking about maybe tra- uh, seeing if he was interested in something like Torn Curtain and mm-hmm. one of the reasons they he was thought against it was the negative like
1: hmm. like
0: which I mean he, his biggest payday was supposedly North by Northwest
1: Um, I, I don't know exactly but that was definitely his biggest commercial hit um Mm. certainly up to that point um yeah and so this script was given to him because he was looking for a new project and he uh liked it but he wanted peter stone to rewrite it so he had worked with peter stone uh, you know just recently on charade which had come out maybe like a year before well charade is like a 1963 movie and father goose is a 64 movie and and so he brought in peter stone and you know worked with him really closely um on the script and making sure that the character of walter was the character that um carrie was envisioning which was someone who was gruff and unpleasant and you know very different from his debonair image um
0: do you Do you have any reason why he was so interested in, like, I I, I saw some mentions that he was wanting to follow um, the Spencer Tracy or Clark Gable template of aging, which, I mean, Clooney maybe kind of is doing right now, but the greatest later model, that was Paul Newman, someone, but, like, Mm. but at the same time, like, he's solid in this movie, like, he's gonna age, but he's like, oh, one more movie and I'm done. Like, yeah, it's it, it's not a it's not it wasn't like an experiment that failed this was pretty charming i mean it's, and still interesting too
1: yeah i think at the time he was kind of had in mind that you know he might retire soon um but i you know i don't know exactly why he may have wanted to do this sort of change of pace but just from reading in the biography um he liked that this would be Bit of a challenge, um, an acting challenge, and just something that would break away from that um, image. And he embraced that. He had been offered the role of Professor Higgins in My Fair Lady, Hmm. which I think is funny. (laughs) Um, And he turned that down, and then in order to do, and then chose to do Father Goose instead. I,
0: part of me wants to wish I had a comprehensive list of the movies he's turned down Cause like, <laughs> oh, uh e-
1: I mean, like almost anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, even just at this time, I was I yeah. was reading into it, like, and just, um, Amen. Didn't go too far into this, but he mentioned that he was he was up for the role of um, the Edward G. Robinson role in Cincinnati Kid, and he hmm. mentions Norman Jewison, but Cincinnati Kid is a movie where. Um, Norman Jewison came on like two weeks in or something like that. But the movie was cast and all the pre-production was done by Sam Peckinpah. So can you imagine oh. Cary Grant in a Sam
1: <laughs> Peckinpah movie? Yeah, I don't know how that may have been like a he was considered for it, but I don't think he would actually want to do it. Because what year did that come out even?
0: Well, it was still kind of pecking and pawns, yeah. but pre Wild Brunch. So, like he'd, he, I mean, ride the high country. I think did well at Cannes or something. Like he was still considered yeah. an artsy Western director, but he could yeah. also equally has been considered a studio guy at yeah. that point. I mean, the the other famous person that kept trying to get Cary Grant and kept getting turned down was Billy Wilder. But he kept he got offered mm. Sabrina and Love in the Afternoon and famously i couldn't find anything in the bio i'm not i'm surprised i don't know why someone hasn't dived into this maybe um your book does this but does anyone got a real honest impression of how he felt about some like it hot and the tony curtis performance because they always say that he just like wrote a telegram to billy wilder or tony curtis like (laughs) thanks for impersonating me but really like i've i've had viewings of Some like it hot where i'm like Billy a really, this isn't just a joke. He really, really wanted Cary Grant for this movie.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. I think also part of it was that Tony Curtis said that he was a big fan of Cary Grant. He wasn't? And, a... No, Tony Curtis was a big oh. fan of Cary Grant. And so that's why he wanted to um, do that voice. Okay. Um, which is such a, you know, it's, yeah, it is totally a trademark of uh, Cary Grant is that you know, people talk about his weird accent, like, where is that from? What is it? And it's just this uh, weird amalgam of all the places he's from. (laughs) And so that's, I just want to say that's part of why he turned down My Fair Lady. I mean, one of the things he said was, you know, but I speak like Eliza does at the beginning (laughs) of the movie. (laughs) Like, I can't be Higgins.
0: (laughs) Um. This might be a transition point. I wanted, like, do we want to go over a little bit of his childhood and the vaudeville days? Like, I, I mean, I don't know too much about it.
1: Um. Well, yeah, I think it's worth mentioning, and that's one of the things that I liked about reading this biography was it kind of, uh, you know, you hear things like, oh, yeah, he started out in, like, you know, uh, doing vaudeville and stuff, and he was in, like, a traveling theater troupe and whatever. But you can see how it really actually did, Um, influence the his later career and I think part of why he was so successful because he got all this training starting as a teenager and for a long time a solid you know through his 20s where he was he learned acrobatics he was doing comedy and you see when he makes a movie like you know the screwball comedies um, like The Awful Truth or uh, he's got that comic timing that you know has just been honed for years so
0: there's there's definitely the template even in the dramas of like someone who's constantly playing drama as comedy like he or or even just like a, a a handsome leading man who's playing everything as comedy
1: and one thing that i also started noticing too was the physicality and you know i had to reading it reminded me like oh yeah he was a i mean He was trained to do like tumbling and like stunts, Mm. you know, for the stage, like walking on stilts and all kinds of, you know, crazy stuff like that. And so then when he's in a movie, um, he does do physical comedy a lot. And but he's also very athletic. And it's something that you kind of maybe don't uh, you maybe take for granted, um, Mm. but you don't notice. But then you see something like the famous North by Northwest uh, crop duster scene and, you know, he's running and he's jump, you know, diving in the dirt and he knows exactly how to dive in the dirt so that, you know, his face is seen and everything. <laughs> and you know, I think that's that's someone who has a lot of control over their physical instrument, which you see a lot with dancers, too.
0: That is a very interesting point, because when I was looking at his TCM clips, um there were just so many more Pratt falls that i that I was thinking, or just like the level of yes. slaps he would take too like but and
1: like the Pratt Falls are really great Pratt Falls because he knows exactly how to fall, how to kick his leg up, you know to like <laughs> emphasize it, you know, and uh you know he you know he's done it so much that he knows how to do it perfectly.
0: All right. You mentioned the North by Northwest crop duster scene. I have always wanted to point this out. So in that point in the movie, they're driving between um, he's on a bus from Indianapolis to (laughs) Chicago. And um, there's a shot at one point where you see he's on Highway 41. Now, Highway 41 goes through Evansville. And I have taken the trip up. To Chicago, many many times. We normally don't go the 41 route because once you get north of center, central Indiana, 41 gets very circuitous. But I have taken more than one trip where I was like, it's obviously it's just an arbitrary cornfield uh, that's or that's not that's having corn into empty one that's you know the crop duster is going to be flying through but in theory I keep want to find the location it's not a real location but I want to find it and I, <laughs> and I, I found the metaphorical one of it I've driven that but yeah I, if I want to find the real version I have to go to like Kansas or a studio in, in LA at some point
1: so. yeah I'm not even yeah I'm not even sure if you could actually go there <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> So, um, what else do you remember was, was really taking, taking you with the, uh, biography you read?
1: Um, well, it was just interesting to learn, uh, you know, how much, um, you know, Cary Grant really did, uh, want to control his career. He's one of those people who started in the studio system and was not, and was sort of ill-served by it. He was just getting put into roles that, you know, weren't really getting him anywhere. And, um, then in uh you know that 1938 and afterwards he started taking more control of being able to pick what he was doing and also taking on more of a producing role and really uh you know making sure that he was getting the star treatment that would keep him a star and Mm. you know then be able to keep making uh the these successful movies and uh
0: one quote I found was that uh, one of the reasons he was turning down Billy Wilder, but also dictates his choices. He said after nine or uh, a said that after 1940, uh, Cary Grant didn't want to play any part where life had beaten him down or his character down.
1: Mm. Well, then he did Father Goose.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, it's a positive and he's he's uh... Yeah, actually, you know, what? that that completely contradicts Father Goose. <laughs>
1: Um, <laughs> because this character is someone who has been sort of beaten down by life. You learn later that he was a history professor and he, you know... Uh, neckties. So you find out that, yeah, he didn't want to wear... Well, yeah, it was an interesting, like, message. Like, you know, he looked around and saw everyone was the same and everyone's wearing neckties and he just didn't want to be part of, you know, that scene, man. <laughs> <laughs> he <wanted> to- <laughs> you want to get out of there. I
0: my my two my biggest laugh in this movie was uh st- I don't know if I'm spoiling a laugh but was the uh whenever Leslie Caron gets on the radio for the first time and mm-hmm. uh reco- what she requests is just that and everyone's reaction to that made the 90s it's uh right. 8 8 <laughs> 90s um Yes. There was the gag the whole sequence at the end with the snake bite I remember kept thinking that I, I wanted to be funnier, but like, I feel like if, it's yeah. not, if I was watching at the Paramount in Austin, it would have been killing the crowd. But like watching by myself, I was like, all right, I, I get what they're going for.
1: Yeah, it's so weird, it's kind of a weird sequence. Um, so Leslie Carone is in a boat with some of the girls and she, they think that she gets bitten in the leg by a snake. It's actually, she gets cut by a tree branch or something. And then, but they think she's been bitten by a poisonous snake, so they think she's dying, and Cary Grant goes in there and tries to suck the venom out of her ankle, and uh, he gets her drunk on his whiskey so Mm -hmm. that, you know, she can take the pain and also, you know, to take her mind off it. And, you know, of course she's fine, she's just cut, uh, cut by a tree branch and uh, but she gets drunk and starts spilling all her secrets and they connect in that moment but um it got kind of crazy like at one point she's like telling him asking him did how did my blood taste <laughs>
0: yeah was it salty and you think she got got insulted that he didn't like the taste of it
1: yeah he said some early like, oh, hammer really stuff there right good blood yeah it was weird because she was like saying how she liked it when he uh, you know sucked on her leg and i'm like whoa Okay, yeah. lady. <laughs> Did you like it, the, how my blood tasted? <laughs> I'm, I, I
0: I I simultaneously just saw the uh, meet cute, not even mute cute, but like how the 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 script the script was getting them together. And there's something about when I see this in Cary Grant in black and white, <laughs> like I'm just fine with. And the more modern it gets, the less I was like, okay, I see what they're doing. I was I don't know, like I don't know if it's yeah, an, I an mean, Indian I admit- with it or not.
1: I admit that the fact that the two of them get together seems a little odd. Like I could, you know, like whatever, they're in a stressful time. And so it brings them closer together. But and they're like, you know, the best looking people they've probably met in a while. (laughs) (laughs) That helps. (laughs)
0: And he makes sure to get her a wedding ring, too.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, I saw um, some... I guess uh, maybe it was in the biography. They compared it to the African Queen,
0: but yes, as a I lighter
1: family type film, you know, with the kids and everything. Which it definitely, yeah, it definitely has a lot of parallels with that. With you know, two people coming together, the crusty uh, loner and the prim woman, and you know, at the end, they they get married. <laughs>
0: and in, in the middle of uh, the jungle, in the middle or, of war, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did Houston? Did Houston ever have anything to do? Try to get Cary Grant for anything? Oh right, right, because he tried to get him for the uh, man who would be king at one point. He wanted no. Gable to take over after Bogart died. No, no, this was in the late '60s or oh, early '60s. Really? He tried at one point oh. too, because he wrote it for Gable and Bogart in like the oh. early '50s, and oh, and he, it was like 20 years where he got it made. I, I, mm. I asked you a question. I, hadn't, I hadn't
1: thought the answer. You me. already knew. <laughs> well. Uh, did you think that it, there were like funny things in the movie? Yeah. Oh no, no, no. I really like this movie. (laughs) I did like this movie.
0: And I, 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 and when I was trying to figure out, uh, the Ralph Nelson stuff, like I thought he was a pretty solid filmmaker. He has this, um, he was the director on the first season of twilight zone. Uh, he directed Mm -hmm. Rita Hayworth's last film, once a thief. Um, he was not actually the original director of this movie. It was going to be a guy named David Miller. Um, Who, I mean, I I haven't really seen anything of his. He directed a movie with Kirk Douglas called Lonely or the Bray. That's supposedly one of his Mm. best. But he got fired, Mm -hmm. like, was it like two weeks or something before they shot?
1: Well, he didn't like Cary Grant being so controlling over (laughs) all aspects of the movie, which he, you know, as a producer, he was also had a lot of control of choosing the cast. He chose um, the composer, he chose the writer, uh, and yeah miller resigned
0: he, he says, originally wanted uh cary grant originally wanted audrey hepburn for this too
1: yeah well they had just worked together in charade and um i mean yeah, yeah and she fits because this uh the character is like french or you know mm. uh her name is catherine Frenno. so you know and audrey hepburn you know is uh from europe <laughs> but mm-hmm. audrey hepburn was making my fair lady so which Carrie grant turned down so mm-hmm. Uh, can you imagine? (laughs) So then he, um, his next, I I don't know if it was his next choice, but, uh, he, uh, found Leslie He's He'd Um, seen
0: her in the L-shaped room, I think was why he chose her. Yeah. And
1: he also, um, yeah, he also chose Trevor Howard and he also was involved in the casting of all the kids too. Really? uh, Yeah. And they, they auditioned them and selected them. He was part of that, um the seven young actresses and uh, they wanted to choose kids that had little or no prior acting experience.
0: Hmm. Am I, on, am I onto something with the Von Trapp thing? Was there like a, <laughs> a, a, a Disney TV thing where kids were suddenly in, in vogue or is, am I just like reverse engineering that?
1: Um, I don't know. Um, I think that definitely in the 60s, there are a lot of movies where it's like, Two, like, adults and then, like, that whole bunch of kids. Because there's also Yours, Mine, and Ours, which is a movie about uh, Henry Fonda and Lucille Ball. And they each have, like, a bunch of kids and they get married and so then they have a big family. Is that um, what
0: Cheaper by the Dozen che- was remaking?
1: No. Che- no. Um, Cheaper by the Dozen is a was an earlier movie about a family that just had a, a dozen kids. Okay. And that was William Powell and Myrna Loy. And that's actually a oh. good movie too. And it's just, they have a lot of kids and they're efficiency experts <laughs> is what that movie is. Um, and then, so yeah, the Steve Martin remake in the nineties was remaking cheaper by the dozen, but there was a remake of yours, mine and ours um, with Dennis Quaid and Rene Russo, I think. That's also what in the I'm 90s. thinking of. Yeah. I, have, yeah, yeah. I do remember that one. But yeah, so this definitely was a thing with like a movie with a bunch of kids. I think there was a Doris Day movie called With Six You Get Egg Roll. Um, and then there was the <laughs> Brady Bunch at the end of the 60s. And so yeah, there's yeah, okay. was, it was a thing. I think you're on to something.
0: <laughs> okay okay i i think this is earlier but i also had a swiss family robinson disney vibe yes. to it but um yeah well the, the uh when you originally we were going back and forth about doing this you i was the one that was like i'm interested in seeing father yeah. goose just because i hadn't seen it and you made it sound interesting but you had suggested other movies of Cary grants you wanted to talk about
1: yeah well i mean i love talking about any Cary grant movie it's fine i've <laughs> seen a lot of them not all but i've definitely even seen bad ones um but I I suggested watching a couple of the Hitchcock um, collaborations because he made four movies with Alfred Hitchcock and uh, he was one of Hitchcock's favorite uh, actors to work with and they were friends and they worked well together. And uh, Suspicion, the first movie they made together, is one of my favorites as well, especially a favorite Cary Grant movie. And um, then there's also Notorious... Uh, to Catch a Thief and North by Northwest. I have
0: a I have a big soft spot for the '50s ones, which is why I'm yeah. unfamiliar with the '40s ones. It was funny that to- torn curtain story I was telling earlier. Mm-hmm. It was at a Dodgers game. Can you imagine Hitchcock and Cary Grant at a Dodgers game? <laughs> at a Dodgers game, game I right know. <laughs> just both of them just dressed to the prim and sweating. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I haven't seen Notorious or Suspicion in a long time, but
1: really. Oh, you've seen him before, but not in a while.
0: Just It's also notorious in particular is like Cary Grant straight up dramatic acting more. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. And a bit of, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not a comedy. I think he always tends to be able to have a sparkle in his eye kind of thing. Um, and there's definitely, um, you know, romance to it. So he has some lighter moments with Ingrid Bergman. But yeah, that's more drama. Okay yeah uh to catch a thief is definitely more on the comedy side it's very um you know champagne sparkling uh (laughs) flirting with grace kelly who was his favorite uh leading lady i had heard
0: that his favorite person to kiss um (laughs) every once in a while i like to rank uh uh hitchcock's 50s movies just because it's such a bounty of riches and then like Mm. to make a dark horse one come out like sometimes i'd like Mm. to say strangers on a train deserves to be high up uh and then sometimes things like To Catch a Thief is like it's so well made but it, it gets it, it gets lost in this embarrassment of riches of Hitchcock movies in the 50s.
1: Yeah, I think I mean To Catch a Thief I think because it's maybe its plot isn't as memorable. I think I think maybe people don't really remember what the actual plot of that one is. You just hmm. kind of remember like the scenery and the the stars more. Okay. That's my guess. I mean, I like it, but that's my guess why maybe people don't talk about it as much as like Strangers on the Train gets talked about because, you know, I think people are more intrigued by the central plot of that.
0: Envelope. Yeah. and I, I, I love to make this the, uh, a cynist argument that the, uh, um, merry-go-round sequence is better than the shower sequence in Psycho. But, uh, <laughs> I, I've heard others make that. I, 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 did not originate that I stole that from somebody else. Um, but what about um, what about Notorious? What are your what exactly do you love about that?
1: Well, you know that is one that I haven't seen in a while. Um, I so uh, I can't say that I you know totally okay. it's not one of my favorites, but I did like it when I saw it, and I do really like Claude Rains as well, who plays the main. Villain in that movie. I say villain. He is a Nazi. So I should be clear. Uh. (laughs) He is a villain. But uh, he finds a way to be sympathetic, I think, in that role. Um, Yeah, Claude Rains is great in that movie. And that's just kind of a fun thriller. And Suspicion, I like, I think, because um, I think it's very... uh, I don't know. I guess I just kind of am drawn in by the idea of, um, in that story, Cary Grant marries Joan Fontaine, who is seen as the sort of mousy spinster of the town, which is kind of hilarious to me always, because Joan Fontaine is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And um, she's always like, I can't, you know, feeling like she's not good enough, and then wondering why he chose her. And he's kind of a loser in a way. He spends her money... (sighs) And th- then she starts to suspect that he's trying to kill her in order to get her money when actually there's he he's just like doing things that seem suspicious, but it creates a lot of tension, and you know there's scenes where you think like she thinks like, "Oh, he's coming to poison me or something, and so Hitchcock is so great at creating that suspense. um but yeah. I think I like their relationship, and I like that Carrie Grant is playing in some ways he's playing very much the charming Cary Grant role, but he's also got this darker side to him because you you also have to believe credibly that he could be trying to kill his wife.
0: I mean, it's said that Cary Grant was Hitchcock's prototypical uh, leading man. He was his favorite leading man. And like, there's a vibe where it's just like he checks a few number of boxes where he's charming and, um, Women would love to seduce Cary Grant. I mean, the key to his appeal seemed to be that he always pretended to be an ordinary person and let the woman seduce him. Seems to be part of his strategy Mm. in some of these movies. Um, One of the movies uh, I when going through the Cary Grant list that I have never seen is, I don't know, is it the main Stanley Donen precursor to charade with Cary Grant? Indiscreet? Have you seen that?
1: Um, I have seen Indiscreet. uh... Is it good? You know, I haven't seen it in a while. At the the time I watched it, it wasn't one of my favorites. Okay. Uh, more like into boring. Um, <laughs> no. Wait,
0: a pun, Lonnie? <laughs> I see what you did there.
1: No, I think that's worth a rewatch. I mean, he and Ingrid Bergman were also uh, they were notorious together. They made a that might be the only that was that was the other thought. Together. Like, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, like uh, just ten years ten years later, but. I mean, it's I, Stanley Dunn. It's got to be somewhat witty, but I know.
1: Mean. Yeah, I think maybe it's, it's one of those movies that's very like adult sophisticated kind of thing about like, and it's also like the 50s and it's like the weird um, like 50s morals about adults not being able to like sleep together if they're not married thing. Oh. Which like when you're watching it like now and you think like, these people are like 40 years old. Why can't they just like, you know, go home together? Like, let's just be real. <laughs> uh, you know, so sometimes those, like um, what, another Cary Grant movie that's that has a similar thing is that Touch of Mink, which is a Doris Day movie. And of course Doris Day was, you know, the uh, perpetual virgin, um, even though she was a grown woman. And in that movie, he like picks her up. He's like a rich guy and he, she's not, and she gets kind of swept up by him. But he like takes her somewhere and there's this implication like, are they gonna sleep together? But that would be, that would be so wrong. Like she can't, she can't go with him. And it's just like, come on, get over it.
0: I want to, I do want to talk positives on on here most of the time, but I was curious, you mentioned
1: some Cary Grant movies that weren't good. (laughs) Well, I mean, like I was just talking about that touch of mink. I think you can watch it and, you know, enjoy parts of it, but a lot of it is just, I don't think plays very well, especially now when you're watching like adults who are like scared to be, you know, kiss each other. (laughs) <laughs> what were some other titles that have I mean, other characters that don't really work? I mean, he's made he made some weird ones. One that always springs to mind is this one that's um, called like I want to look up, make sure I find the right title. It's like the the so and so's of Virginia, where he's playing like a revolutionary era American in Virginia, and it's just like you are not the person for this movie (laughs) you are not right for (laughs) that he made a lot of movies before like in the 30s that are just like who and what is this you know you just don't even want to bother watching it he made he was in this adaptation of alice in wonderland from
0: 1933
1: really where which had a lot of like stars from the studio at that time. It was a Paramount movie. Like Gary Cooper is in it. And they play like random characters like, um what is he? He's the mock turtle. And that movie is not good.
0: (laughs) That sounds I'm I wanna say weird, but honestly now you're just making me want to watch like maybe watch just like a clip on YouTube. I'm not gonna I don't want to spend the entire feature length watching it, but Yeah, yeah.
1: And, you know, some of his movies that I even like watching, I can also, there are also kind of cringy stuff like The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, which won a screenwriting uh, award.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love your distinguished, distinguished one with A there. Yeah.
1: It's a movie where he's, you know, again, an adult professor who has to pretend to be interested in dating a teenage girl played by shirley temple um so that her feelings don't get hurt and it's like this is wrong like this is an inappropriate relationship if she gets her feelings hurt it's fine because he shouldn't be (laughs) dating her
0: (laughs) there was a scene in father goose with him with the um, yes (laughs) what was funny was i was reading that she's she's playing the older girl in there um Mm -hmm. And she really was like 10, younger than everyone else. She just happened to be taller, grow tall for Mm -hmm. her age.
1: Yeah. And he like, uh, she, well, she gets infatuated with him briefly and then he tries to play into it and it scares her off.
0: It's, I mean, it's, it's. (laughs) It is really one of those those moments where his instincts for crowd pleasing, like I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't begrudge him for that. It works. He's just, it's like, it, it sometimes seems out of character, but it's funny to watch. Um, one title I wanted to ask you about, I was curious about. I, I really only skimmed the biography; I didn't really read much of it. But I was really cu- curious about his relationship with Clifford Odets. And one title I wanted to ask you about was None But the Lonely Heart. Have you seen that?
1: You know, I don't think so. I don't think I've seen that movie.
0: Was Clifford Odets mentioned much in, in your biography?
1: Um, I think he was. Uh, I mean, he definitely was. They talked about the movie, but I don't remember that being a big part of his life.
0: Okay. I I He's mentioned a few times. They had a relationship. But one of the fascinating things, I watched uh, Cary Grant's acceptance speech for his Lifetime Achievement Oscar.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he made sure to thank the directors. He thanked Hitchcock. He thanked Howard Hawks. Um, I want to say it was George Stevens was mentioned, uh, Leo McCary, uh, George Cooker was mentioned, but then he started mentioning a bunch of the writers and he mentioned Ben Mm -hmm. Heck, who we talked about our last episode and, um, true form. I'm, I'm mis, I'm misremembering a bunch of the writers and he mentioned Peter Stone was one of the last ones, but the one he gave a, um, um, descriptor for was he said, the deer. Clifford Odets, and I thought they'd had a personal relationship, and he was really broken up when Clifford Odets died.
1: I'm, like, looking at it right now about the in the book, and, I mean, they definitely they made that movie together, and I think, okay, now seeing what the plot of the movie is, it definitely makes sense that um, Cary Grant went to do it because it's about a working-class Cockney uh, person and in a family, mm-hmm. and since that was Cary Grant's background, um, you know, he definitely you know, was interested in showing that.
0: Um, So when you first mentioned you were reading this book, do you remember the first thing I asked you about it?
1: No. What did you ask me? (laughs)
0: I am very fascinated. Uh, I, I'm a big a lover of the Michael Pollan book, how to change your mind about psychedelics. And, uh, oh,
1: right, right, yeah. <laughs>
0: Cary Grant is mentioned quite a bit, uh, not throughout the book, but at a key portion. And so I wanted to know about Cary Grant's LSD experiments.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that is in the biography. I mean, it was obviously later into his life. Um, and, uh, it was something that people were doing at the time before it became more of a widespread, like recreational drug. It was something that people were doing in the, you know, vein of like psychology or we're, trying to get we're in-
0: hopefully like it's getting where it's coming back now is more as a, as a, as a actual like bridge between the talking cure and pharmaceuticals, psychopharmaceuticals. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. So he was using it for therapy. And I mean, he, yeah, he was into it. He thought that it really helped him. Um,
0: it was like some Beverly Hills psychologist was uh, prescribing it or having sessions, uh, guided med- or guided uh, trips, basically.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he would kind of, you know, he was using it to find, you know, the inner demons and that kind of thing. And um Yeah, at the time so this was like the late 50s and um at the time he was married to the actress uh betsy drake and she tried it and she was like okay yeah it kind of helped me with something but i'm not into it i don't want to use it all the time and you know he was definitely more of a uh, proselytizer about it Mm. and trying to get people to use it i think he also tried later he um when he was with Diane Cannon, his um, next wife, uh, (laughs) that he tried to get her to do it, and she just wasn't into it Hmm. either. (laughs) But he was like, it's made me a new man. I'm freed from my inhibitions. (laughs) He was, like, telling everyone about it.
0: There was some press stuff I read where he sounded like a straight-up hippie philosophizer like a good eight years before uh, hippiedom kind of took over. Um, Do you want to give any lip service to the whole how many marriages he had, troubled marriage stuff. Was that a part of the book? Like, I know you're not really interested in a lot of the salacious gossip stuff.
1: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it definitely uh g- goes through. He had a couple... He had, let's see, when, like five wives. Um And he he was married to an actress. And his first wife was an actress. Um, it didn't like, last like a year. Virginia Cheryl. His second wife... It's interesting to me who he married because they're very, I don't know, kind of varying people, but he definitely had a type physically. His second wife was uh, Barbara Hutton, who was an heiress and at the time, one of the richest people in the world. That one was the one that fascinated me. Yeah, And I mean, I'm still, even after reading the biography, I'm still kind of confused about why they were a couple <laughs> because it just <laughs> seemed like he, she was really kind of just interested in having parties and hanging out at the house and basically kind of superficial things. And he wasn't as into that. And he wanted to, you know, have more of a home life and not parties. And um, he, she had a son from a previous marriage and he, Cary Grant was a stepfather to the son and actually remained very close to him um, as a father figure, which I, thought was interesting and um but he only had a child with diane cannon who was his fourth wife um, and that's when he chose to retire from acting to become a father and really be more of a full-time father
0: that what his motivation was i mean i, I guess it was kids but like it seems it was so committed because he still worked after that he just retired from movies
1: he retired from being in movies yeah he did work and he went on and he would do like um sort of like uh, staged things where it was like an evening with Cary Grant and he would come out and, um, you know, talk about his movies and stuff. Um, But it was always, but he didn't do it too much because he wanted it to be like a special thing that people would still um, want to see him. And that's kind of that old, you know, adage of, you know, always leave them wanting more. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that's part of what he wanted to do was kind of go out on top while he still... Was um, very popular and you know at the top of his game and not uh, you know flame out and okay. he had it and he finally had a daughter he was he was very interested in having a family and um, he wanted to be committed to being with his kid and he had seen how you know being an actor you have a weird schedule and you have to go a lot of different places and he wanted to be available for his daughter. Mm.
0: Scott Amon talks about the fact that he maintained that high level of commercial success and picking right roles and being, even if he was a, t- a template in these movies, he still was top of his game for 40 years, which is a hard period to sustain. So I guess that makes sense. Um, the opening of uh, Amon's book is uh, describes uh, the scenario leading up to Cary Grant's death. So mm-hmm. skip skipping back just a little... Um, The beginning, right before the pandemic, I I mentioned this a few of the episodes at the time. I went to Iowa to canvas for the Andrew Yang campaign, and we were based out of Davenport, Iowa. And one Mm -hmm. of the big campaign events we we worked around was a one of his uh, small rallies was at a hotel downtown. And someone casually told me it's the Black Hawk Hotel, and someone casually told me he's like, oh, this is the hotel Carrie Grant died in.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. He
0: technically didn't die in the hotel. He died at the right. hospital, but right. uh, he was giving one of those uh, night with Cary Grant. And I guess he had a stroke and that's where, that's where yeah. he died.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when he was doing those, um, that touring around doing those performances, he was going to a lot of smaller town places. Like, I mean, Davenport, Iowa isn't you know, exactly the hub of the world. Right. And, um, he was uh, going back to places that he had visited when he was in uh, his 20s and touring around the country with his um, theater troupe.
0: The book mentions that he had gone to Davenport for that. Yeah. yeah. So
1: they went to cities all over the country. And so he had really fond memories of going to um, all these towns in America and really getting to see um You know all the different parts of America and so when he went on these tours he wanted to go to places like that too which I thought was interesting Mm -hmm. trying to almost kind of recapture uh, sort of that sense of when he was young and kind of discovering things.
0: (laughs) It's like an indie (laughs) rock band uh, in their 80s could be like just like we want to follow the tour we went back at that time. Do you have any like uh, hidden Jim Cary Grant movies that you don't
1: think are talked about enough? Oh man, you're like springing questions on me here. <laughs> I'm like, so, <laughs> um, so, you know, I think a lot of people kind of know a lot of his films that are really good. Like, it happens when you're your box
0: office star, yeah. Yeah,
1: we we mentioned a few of them. Um, some that maybe we haven't mentioned. I mentioned The Awful Truth a few times. He made a couple other movies with Irene Dunn, who I um, really like as a leading lady. And the second movie they made together is called My Favorite Wife um, from 1940, which is really funny, screwball comedy. Um, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's it's a pretty funny movie. It's about um, basically they're married, then she gets like shipwrecked and is presumed dead and he's about <laughs> to get remarried. And then she shows up alive and it's, and so it's a lot of slapstick with him being like, Oh, there's my wife. And Ooh, <sighs> I've got my fiance over here. <laughs> so it's not a you
0: screwball know. version of the end of Castaway.
1: Uh No, <laughs> I mean, maybe <laughs> you could call it that. <laughs> um, I also like, um, Another uh, comedy he made called I Was a Male War Bride.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm overdue to see that. That's a, yeah. that's a big Hawks movie, right? Yeah, it's
1: directed by Howard Hawks. I don't think it's one that you know comes up kind of on the top tier whenever you talk about Cary Grant or Howard Hawks. But um, it's a funny one where he's a, he's a French officer, which, okay. And uh, he, <laughs> during wartime, he marries an American army officer played by Anne Sheridan. And so he has to go through all the processes that all the, you know, people that were uh, foreign nationals who married American officers have to go through in order to get entry into the country after the war. And because he's the only man, it's mostly women who were married to uh, GIs. Uh, You know, it's all of that sort of like out of place comedy. And then I'll just also mention another one, which uh, is a movie that I <laughs> that he made with his wife at the time, Betsy Drake, who is, uh, I think, probably his most interesting wife of the <laughs> of the five. <laughs> I I find her interesting. She and they were married the longest time. I think they were married about eleven years, so it was definitely his longest marriage. And um, she had a pretty interesting career of going into writing afterwards, but she was a stage actress and she was trying to make it in the movies. and so he agreed to be in this movie basically to boost her career. And it was called "Every Girl Should Be Married. The whole premise from the title down to what the action in the movie is completely dated and like sexist. <laughs> mm. And I can't condone, you know, the, the uh, premise of the movie, but it is funny to watch them together. Knowing that um, you know they were a couple, and it's if you can imagine their personas, like you said, Cary Grant is like George Clooney. It's like if George Clooney and Greta Gerwig were in a romantic <laughs> comedy together, almost. And she, he's playing like a pediatrician, and she's just kind of this young woman who's a, wants to get married. <laughs> and so she just like relentlessly pursues him. And then uh, at one point, uh, she tries to make him jealous by dating Francho Tone, (laughs) this other classic era actor. And um, it's just kind of, it's charming, but also the whole time you're thinking, well, this is just, this is just so dated.
0: (laughs) You know, one of the reasons I was uh, I I was interested and glad to have you on again is, you know, when I when I have people on and I I question them what they want to do and what they want to talk about, this is a blind spot of mine. You're the only person who's mentioned actors. Everyone I have on wants to talk uh, directors. If you want to talk writers, (laughs) you're the only ones mentioned actors. And it's a it's a real blind spot. It's just like whenever you sometimes hear people talk and they can rattle off the cast list. Uh, ter- the character name and the actor that played them like I don't know if it's just I I my brain is going more towards editing and camera angles and yeah just stuff like that but I mean personalities are clearly the reason we all got into this in the first place so
1: yeah I mean I guess I can appreciate all different facets but I definitely tend to think more yeah about the actors and who is in it and the performances and you know, before I get into the more technical aspects for sure. Um, I mean, don't even ask me about the score of a movie. Cause I'm like, there was music, but <laughs> there was music
0: and it manipulated me at some point.
1: And, um, and I went with it and I didn't notice.
0: <laughs> did you have any, uh, last thoughts on father goose you wanted to put
1: out? Well, um, just, you know, for anyone that's listening and isn't, um, sure if they want to watch it i mean you can find it for free online and uh it's 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 cute
0: you can also find a really great uh, tra- i watched it off of the criterion channel and oh yeah be, uh, the carry Gr- there's a section of movie called Carry grant comedies that's under and it's got a great transfer on that
1: yeah um yeah it's cute but i you know i think it also has like you said uh you know there's comedy and peter stone i think is a talented writer and I think even the characters are really fun, and Leslie Caron's character is. Uh, uh, she's not a school teacher. They often gets called a school teacher as shorthand, but she's not actually. But I think her character is actually a very um, strong, um, determined, uh, you know, impressive person who really holds her own. I was confused by that. I thought she was a school teacher. Yeah, I think it's kind of a confusing premise, but actually she's the daughter of a diplomat who sort of is uh in the role of a guardian to transport these kids oh, who are children right. of diplomats okay. um to safety in Australia. And so she's uh in charge of their welfare and is trying to, you know, uh whatever, teach them good morals and such, but uh, she's not Don't actually Don't be
0: around whiskey. men who have whiskey. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so I think Leslie Caron's character is actually a pretty, uh, good, uh, female character for the era when sometimes they could be pretty thin. And, and one thing I did like about having to watch this movie was it made me look up the director, Ralph Nelson, as well Mm -hmm. as uh, Peter Stone and just gave me a whole lot of movies that I want to check out now because Ralph Nelson, um, directed some movies that are well-known like requiem for a heavyweight lilies of the field charlie but then there was also a lot of interesting sort of drama thrillers in his list with notable actors of the time sort of like that second tier uh star who's like made a lot of movies in the 60s but maybe you don't talk about right now and it made me want to look up a lot of those movies and then apparently i didn't realize that peter stone is just one of my favorite writers (laughs) really Well, I just like a lot of things he's done, like charade. He wrote um, a lot of Broadway musicals, actually, including 1776, which which I really like.
0: Oh, you love 1776.
1: I do like it. I do like the movie, which he wrote the screenplay for as well.
0: Cary Grant was offered an early version of that. Did you know that?
1: Well, now you kind of can guess why, because it's Peter Stone. And he also wrote The Taking of Pelham 123, the movie.
0: You're kidding.
1: No. Wow.
0: (laughs) He well, the crazier thing about Peter Stone is uh, his dad was a I guess you call it scenarist for John Ford.
1: Oh, okay, so writing scenes for him.
0: I guess whenever they were still silent, directed yeah. silent or what writer Ford, um, Ralph Nelson. I did you did you come across his uh, the, when I googled him? the The most in depth thing I could find on him was his L A Times obituary. Did you happen to read that?
1: no i didn't i yeah i didn't find a lot of information i just kind of looked at his filmography
0: his life is fascinating because <laughs> he was um he started out as an actor but as a teenager i i, I i'm butchering the information from this, his obituary and i think a lot of this might be legend myth-making but he was um considered one of the biggest child delinquents in uh, new york city And was like uh, (laughs) an underage public enemy while he was also winning a New York Times oratory. Uh, And he, he wrote some plays that including one of his first plays he wrote was like Kirk Douglas's uh, big breakthrough.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. And
0: then he, he went, went to the war and then he went into TV and he directed TV and it seems, and Lily's in the field. The fascinating thing was they shot it. It was really low budget and he shot it like in like 14 days. Like he was a quick shooter who would work with these actors. It's, it's, it's a lot like the modern times when they have these Oscar bait directors who for actors who want to like, you know, do an impression mm-hmm. to win an Oscar and you get someone who just will like direct a script <laughs> at one point on father goose, uh, uh, I don't think he uh Nelson had a great time, but uh he had to write uh Cary Grant a letter telling him, No, you're you're doing you're giving a great performance and he finally said that like his specialty was the quote was performance and not camera pyrotechnics. Sure. But performance is what he could get he could do well. So it sound, yeah, I, I think there was some interesting stuff in his filmography that might be interesting checking out yeah
1: well you know several people who were in his movies won oscars um, like sydney poitier and uh cliff robertson and yeah so you can see why actors would want to work with him
0: do you have any last thoughts on gary grant
1: yeah he's he's a movie star he's you know your prototypical you know movie star and so Hmm. i would i would uh encourage anyone to kind of go out there and find um any of his movies from any of the eras, and um, just appreciate that uh, he was actually also a great actor, too. He wasn't playing himself, as was often, uh, you know, said, and if you look at something like Father Goose, you, know, you can see that's not what he was like, but, mm. <laughs> but he sells the role, and uh, yeah, I think uh, he definitely deserves respect for his acting, um, as well as that sort of movie star uh, quality.
0: Do we want to end with like, what is the biggest, uh, most common Cary Grant quote? You know which one I'm talking about?
1: Um, I, d- I don't know. What is
0: it? The one that um, everyone wants, to, he says, everyone wants to be Cary Grant. Even I want to be Cary Grant.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, Lonnie Gonzalez thank you for being on the podcast and thank you for talking with me about an actor for once
1: thanks Shane I'll I'll come back anytime talk about anybody you want
0: (laughs) I'll pick you up on that